Among the many problems with false teaching is the negative impact on people. Peter says many will follow their sensuality. You know, false teaching stumbles many people. And the question is, what does God do about false teachers and false teaching? Well, Peter tells us what he does. And he gives us some examples about angels in the ancient world and even the ashes of Sodom and Gomorrah as a stern warning to those who knowingly teach false things or what we might call heretics. Peter will give us more about that, things we need to know. It's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for what? All to come to repentance. Their judgment, you know, sometimes do you watch these guys and you see them, it's, it's obvious to you that they're ripping off the whole bunch of them. And you think, Lord, when are you going to zap that individual with lightning? And the answer is, God is waiting for repentance because God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. None. Ezekiel 33, 11. None. So he waits. But if a man continues to represent Jesus Christ in quotes, he says he's a Christian teacher, and yet he is making merchandise of God's people, the judgment of God is hanging over him. It's not asleep. It's not even blinking. You could define the language this way. It's just, it's going to come in God's time. And so he needs to repent of what he's been doing. Even a false teacher can repent and God would have him to do that. Now, just in case we needed a little bit of affirmation as to the fact that God does judge wayward individuals, especially when it comes to this leading people into sensuality and lust, He says he's going to give three Old Testament examples, and we could argue all three are from the book of Genesis. Example number one is angels. For if or since God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, this is the word Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-O-S or U-S, Tartarus. I think it's the only place it's used in the New Testament. And in the Greek mind, this was the abode of the wicked dead, including gods with a small g and demons. It was the deepest, darkest, gloomiest place of judgment. Peter uses the word. He says, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, Tartarus, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Uh, He didn't spare angels. Which angels are these? Well, we do know that there is such a thing as fallen angels. And we would say that fallen angels are demons. How many angels are there? How many fallen angels are there? We don't know for sure. But there's perhaps millions. Some even think billions. And they fell along with Lucifer or Satan. And now there's this demonic activity. Back in Genesis chapter 6, in a debated passage, if you want to hear me go through all the views 
Uh, I did it. It's on our website. You can go back and look at that message. One view of these angels is that these are the ones, they're called sons of God, who saw the daughters of men. And this is where, this, this is one view, and some people have issues with this, this view, but they believe they inhabited, uh, possessed bodies of people and cohabited with women. One motivation that some scholars believe is for the purpose of defiling the human race, kind of a tactic of Satan to keep the, to de, dilute the human race or destroy the human race to keep the Messiah from coming. That's predicted in Genesis 3. It's one view. But it's really that they looked on these women with lust. They saw that they were beautiful. They lusted after them. And they, they left their proper abode. Write down, um, just so you can go back and check this, Genesis 6, especially verses 1 and 2. Now, Jude comments on this. This is a little bit to your right, right before Revelation. You got the book of Jude and then Revelation. So a, little, a few pages to your right. Jude and 2 Peter are very close in their content. And here's what Jude says about this group that God did not spare. He says, in Jude is only one chapter, verse five. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Jude, verse six. And angels, that's our discussion point for this example, who did not keep their own domain, Greek word arcane, their own source, their own origin, where they belonged, but abandon their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under, the, under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as, in the same way, if you will, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as, verse 6, the angels, as these indulged in what? Gross immorality. They went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment, scary, of eternal fire. So you say, well, what's the purpose of Peter's example? Simply this. If God did not hesitate to judge angels when they got off track and got into sensuality and did an abominable deed, will God not judge false teachers too? Answer, yes. But he hasn't done it yet, somebody might say. Oh, that doesn't mean the judgment isn't on his calendar. It just means that he hasn't done it yet. But the day is coming. And let's say that the false teacher never repents and, and he lives to 105 and he dies. He's still going to stand before God. And James 3, 1 says, let not many of you be teachers, for we will incur what? The stricter judgment. So I am often surprised at how people can callously step into a pulpit, have before them the inspired word of God and twist the scriptures for their own personal gain. Um, it's a scary proposition, no doubt. First example was angels. Second example is the ancient world. Angels in the ancient world. Example number two is also from Genesis, starting in verse six. God did not spare 2 Peter 2, 5, the ancient world. What did he do? He preserved Noah. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And how many people got on the boat with Noah? Well, there was only seven, and they were family members. When he brought 
a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now think with me. In Genesis 6, 5, you don't have to turn there, but I think you all know it. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God was sorry, vexed, hurt that he had made man because man now took every intent of the thought of his heart. And here's the, the Hebrew word is the word for shaping pottery. He was able to take thoughts in and reshape them into wickedness. And God looked and said, everything they think about is evil, wrong, terrible. In fact, Genesis 6, 11 says the earth was filled with violence, violence everywhere. Pastor Chris prayed, but it's worth mentioning another school shooting in Florida. 14 wounded. Uh, last I heard, numerous fatalities. How many is it? 17 wounded and 17 dead. And, you know, what was the last one was in Kentucky. It was another school. And are you losing count? And sadly, are we becoming a little calloused? Because it's happening so much. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, given in marriage. They were going about their normal daily life until the day that Noah entered the ark. And God gave mankind 120 years to repent. Life, that's not lifespan there because people lived more than 120 years after that. It's 120 years to repent. Three times 40, by the way. 40 is the number of testing. And God gave them three times the normal amount. The wilderness wandering was 40 years. He gave them a buck 20, 120 to repent. And then the flood came. And how many converts did, you know, you know he was probably leading all the talk shows. Nutty Noah's at it again. Click, 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 click. Repent. The flood's coming. The flood's coming. Ha, 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 yuck. Oh, yeah, old man. It doesn't even rain around. Now, I'm not making this up. There's actually extra biblical literature that says this is probably what people were saying to Noah. What are you doing, old man? Building a boat, huh? <laughs> News at 11. Nutty Noah's at it again. Look, there he is again. And he tapped and he preached. And with each stroke of the hammer, do you think some people walked by and went, not even, not even, I wonder if someday you're going to need that boat. You know how people are when they get with their friends. They love to mock Christians and Christianity, right? Yeah, they're a Christian, they're a Christian. And then they go home. Sometimes, they get in trouble and they call the Christian. They want to know why it is you live the way you live. And Noah, verse 5, was a preacher. He wasn't just a boat builder. He was a preacher. He preached righteousness. And when the flood came, God shut the door. And only Noah's family was saved. 
The ark became a picture of Jesus Christ. He is our ark. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on The Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. They want to know why it is you live the way you live. And Noah, verse 5, was a preacher. He wasn't just a boat builder. He was a preacher. He preached righteousness. And when the flood came, God shut the door. And only Noah's family was saved. The ark became a picture of Jesus Christ. He is our ark. And by faith, Noah, Hebrews eleven seven, being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. You can write down Hebrews eleven seven. Flip back one book to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, subject matter similar. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says, 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 1 Peter 3, 19. In which also he went and made proclamation. The Greek word is caruso. It means to herald something. It can mean preaching, but it doesn't have to. He made proclamation to the spirits who are what? Now in prison, probably the same group. Uh, It's debated, but it's a pretty good argument. Who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of who? Noah. During the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, seven plus Noah's eight, were brought safely through the water. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Keep reading. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected, subjected to him. When it says he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, that's probably a proclamation of his victory over these demonic spirits in this place called Tartarus. That's one major view. Seems to fit well with the evidence. So you have Second Peter 2, as we'll finish it up. You have the example of the angels who left their proper abode. You have the example of the flood. And we'll see in chapter 3 that the false teachers seem to be the mockers who deny uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ and 
the cataclysmic judgment of the flood. So you have in verse five, uh, verse four is the angels. Verse five, God did not spare the old or ancient world. He preserved Noah, but he brought the flood. Jesus believed in the flood. And then the third example, also from Genesis chapter 19, and if or since God condemned the cities of what? Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the, what, what's your Bible say? Sensual conduct. Go back to verse two. The false teachers are leading people into sensuality. Uh, what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah is uh, the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. So God did not spare those cities. The stench of their sin came up to God and God showed up. In Genesis 18, you have the angel of the Lord and two angels. We believe it's Jesus with two angels, the Lord with two angels. And he said, shall I tell Abram, Abraham what I'm about to do? I think it was a rhetorical question. He knew what he was going to do, right? And so Abraham begins to barter with God. Hey, if, I don't think he said, hey, Lord, <laughs> if there's 50 righteous people in that city, will you spare the city? And then he kept going down, right, by increments. If there's 10, spare the city for 10. There wasn't 10. Basically just Lot and his family. And God rained fire and brimstone down on that area. And Lot had to be pulled out by the angels. Kind of a picture of the rapture before the judgment. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife because she looked back. And did she look back and get turned into salt? Is that the deal? Or in stopping, did she get consumed in the fire of the judgment? That's a possible interpretation. By the way, that area of the world is known to the Jews as the sea of salt. You go into what's called, we know as the Dead Sea, something like 35% mineral content. You walk in there, it looks like a normal ocean. You walk in there and all of a sudden it's gooey and ooey and you're like, whoa. And if you took a newspaper and you laid back in the sea of salt, you will float and you can read the sports section in Israel in the sea of salt with no floaties. It's awesome. However, you can only stay in the Sea of Salt for about 15 minutes. If you stay the proper time, you will come out and your skin will be like a baby's skin because they sell Dead Sea products all over the world. Put on that little mud thing. <laughs> but if you stay too long, it will suck the life right out of you. And I'm not kidding around. You don't fall asleep there. There's only a certain amount of time you can stay there. And so Sodom and Gomorrah, the third example, why did God judge them? Now I know that there, there is a verse in the Old Testament about their inhospitality, but that's not what these verses teach. The reason God judged Sodom and Gomorrah is quite clear, though unpopular to the modern culture. It was homosexual behavior. And it was unnatural and against nature. You can read Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. And God took a very dim view of it. 
And I, I would say, again, it's another example of giving a space to repent and, and waiting and waiting, and God was patient. And what was Lot doing there? Well, Lot was attracted to the land and its beauty and so forth, and he had settled. And here's the thing about settling. Maybe Lot was strong enough to deal with it. It does say, if you look at the verses here, it says that he was a righteous man, verse 8, uh, verse 7, he was rescued, but he was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. By what he saw and heard, the righteous man was tormented, look at, day after day with their lawless deeds. I mean, Lot walked around, according to Peter's commentary, and said, this, this is terrible. It vexed him. It hurt him. He walked around and it, it was tormenting to his soul. I don't think that inhospitality was tormenting him. I think there was a ton of sexual sin, probably every kind of debauchery you could think of in that city, even to the degree that the story says that the men of the town tried to get to the two angels and sleep with them, and then they were blinded. Day after day, he was tormented by their lawless deeds. Final verse for tonight. After those three examples, and you might say, well, what's the point? I mean, why is Peter bringing this up? Because he's dealing with a church that has to discern and weed out and deal with what? False teachers. He says, look, this has been around for a long time. These kinds of things have been around. And the Lord knows how to deal with those things. And the Lord, verse nine, final verse, knows how to rescue the godly from what? From temptation. What temptation do you think that the people Peter addresses were facing? To give in. To go with the flow. Maybe these guys are right. Maybe, maybe, maybe our views are a little archaic. Do you know that much, many of the old line denominations that you would know the names of these churches are gone? Here's what I mean. They're bankrupt. There are segments of the Methodist church today that are bankrupt. And you, do you know how they got there? Do you know why they're caving on moral issues of our day? Because years ago, and I'm talking about 75, 100 years ago in some cases, they started to think, they started to teach that the Bible's not inerrant. They started to give in on essential historic doctrine. And so you give in on those things and then you're going to give in on other things because you don't want to have to deal with the pressure. He says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. Temptation to give in, go with the flow. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment for what? For the day of judgment. The Lord's not slow about his promise. He's, there's a day of the Lord coming. It's in 2 Peter 3.10. For the world, it will come like a thief. In which the heavens, flip over to 2 Peter 3.10 in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, the earth and its works will be burned up, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Look, I know it's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy. And the more you walk with the Lord, I think the more you see how holy he is, what he wants from his people. 
I think it may have been Spurgeon who said, the closer I get to God, the more unholy I realize I am. That's me. And so there's no perfect people in the room tonight, but, but God has called us to godliness. And godliness is really a God-centered life. Would you bow your heart with me? A God-dominated life. Father, help us. Because we don't always act like godly people, feel like godly people. And sometimes, Lord, I think if everybody was honest tonight, sometimes waving the white flag seems so much easier. In a culture like this, that mocks Christianity, where there's violence and sexual sin rampant, it's hard to swim against the tide. And I think that's precisely why Peter wrote Second Peter to remind the church to hang in there because what we're living for is not the temporary uh, time on this planet. What we're living for is eternal and it's secure and we, we need to keep fighting the good fight of faith by faith and by your grace, Lord. So would you encourage your church tonight? Would you strengthen them? Would you bless them? Would you remind them of your ever-present grace to help in time of need. You're doing the changes in our lives, Lord. That's the awesome news is we're just surrendering a little bit more each day and you're changing us. And when we make a mistake or we slip up, thank you for your grace, but help us to keep moving forward. Help us to realize that people, even who follow this kind of stuff, end up empty and bankrupt. And let us be a safe harbor for people who may have gone this way. Uh, people who may have been duped by a false teacher, hurt, wounded. Uh, someone told me in a meeting recently that there's a ton of listeners to Christian radio who have been hurt and aren't planning on going back to a church, but they're Christians and their church is the radio. Let us be a safe haven for those people as well, Lord, uh, to show the love of Jesus and to be a beacon of light. Thank you for the precious group tonight on this Valentine's night, Lord. May you bless them. I know many that are here tonight have, they've had to say see you later to their spouse, but I pray that you would be their Valentine tonight. I pray that you would be their love, their strength until you do a new work or whatever you're gonna do in their life, Lord, that you'd be their husband, their wife, whatever they need tonight. And for those who are married and have a spouse that they can bless tonight, bring a flower, chocolates, um, whatever it is tonight, most of all, just the love that uh, they have for each other. May you bless marriages tonight. Keep them strong, Lord. And we just thank you for your love for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession, and we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft, and there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. 
Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.